The following presentation of Walking Through the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions is from a previous broadcast and is a production of Take 12 Recovery Radio. Some portions of this show may have included promotions or giveaways that were time-sensitive and may no longer be applicable. To listen and download more of Walking Through the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, visit our website at take12radio.com and click on Recovery Workshops. Hey, 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 just hold on a second. This is the Monty Man. I need to interrupt just for a minute. Before we start out with this episode of Walking Through the 12 and 12, I need to make a very clear announcement. There seems to be some confusion with some of our listeners in regards to ordering the DVD, Walking Through the Big Book and Walking Through the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions. We cannot mail outside of the United States. It is on our webpage, uh, on both pages that talk about getting our coffee mug and getting the 12 and 12 study and the big book study. It is very clear that we cannot mail outside of the U.S. If you have sent us a donation for either one of those and you're outside of the United States, I'm sorry, we cannot issue you a refund and we cannot mail the products to you outside of the U.S. It costs us like twice as much to mail than it is to create uh, these products. And so we just simply can't afford to do that. And I've made that very clear on those pages. I'm sorry if you didn't see that. I'm sorry if you didn't read that. And we appreciate your donation very, very much. Um, I, I, If you have an address inside of the U.S. that you would like us to mail that to you too, uh, we can definitely do that. Simply email me at take12radio at comcast.net. Let me know that you are in Ireland or Australia or wherever you're at and that you made a mistake and that you you sent us the outside of U.S. Uh, mailing address and you have a new mailing address in the U.S. that you want us to send it to and we'll be glad to do that. However, the great news is you can download all of those episodes by simply visiting us at take12radio.com and clicking on Recovery Workshops. And there, you simply click on Walking Through the Big Book or Walking Through the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, and you can download each of those shows for free. There's no need to purchase it anymore. So once again, I apologize, and uh, I, I hope you understand. All right, without further ado, here is the next episode of Walking Through the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions. I believe this is Tradition 7. The views expressed on this episode of Walking Through the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions with Chris Schroeder do not necessarily reflect those of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting or our affiliates. KHLT is not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. Now here's those two guys who investigate prior to contempt, Chris and the Monty Man. 
got to give it up. Got to give it up. It took a lot more than just saying I got to give it up for me to be able to give it up. How about you, Chris? Oh, absolutely. How are you doing today, Monty? <laughs> I'm doing great. Welcome, listeners, to another fine episode of Walking Through the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions with uh, our, our our wonderful guest, Chris Schroeder, who really is carrying us through this. Uh, last week, we did uh, Tradition uh, 6. Today's Tradition 7. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about about money and contributions and, and uh, how Alcoholics Anonymous supports itself and how and what they don't do as far as uh um donations and that kind of thing goes right chris that's that's absolutely right you, you know Monty, there's there's a certain attitude uh there's certain uh, behaviors and perspectives that are conducive to recovery it's you know it's no it's no surprise that uh spirituality is the great weapon against addictive illness uh Many people have tried many different things. There's, there's a there's a whole group of uh, uh, new uh, pharmacologicals that are that are coming online that people really have a lot of hope for for with uh, with different kinds of recoveries. But uh, but uh, you know I I don't necessarily see that personally. I see you know it's it's I I define recovery differently than uh, than most other people. You know, recovery can be uh, not going back to jail or not ending up back in the hospital. That, that, that people can see that as a recovery. I, I see recovery as defined uh, basically through the promises in the book uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. So if you uh, you know if you go through that book and you uh, you pick out all of the promises, I think uh, I think most of those uh, uh, gathered together. And then experienced by uh, the sufferer will will lead uh, you know leads me at least to believe that uh, a recovery has taken place. There has to be a complete rearrangement of thinking and behaving uh, for for me to consider it a recovery. You know, you might get better, but uh, you might you might cause less trouble. But just causing less trouble does not really mean <laughs> that you're you know, you're you're in recovery or you're recovered. You know, so so spiritual principles really do lead to uh, lead to recovery and sustained recovery, uh, uh, being placed in a position where you can consider yourself uh, a recovered alcoholic or a recovered drug addict. And the adherence to those spiritual principles are are definitely needed uh, for uh, someone to. Uh, uh, to be able to uh, really achieve recovery if they're in big trouble with alcohol or drugs. So, you know, the, the principle that we're looking at uh, tonight is a principle about money. It's it's basically about uh, being self-supporting through your own contributions. Uh, and this is a very, very, uh, very, very serious uh, piece of business. They're looking at it, they're looking at it in this, in this particular uh, essay, they're looking at it as it uh, revolves around the group. You know, how, how should uh, how should the group behave? The treasury. You know, they're looking at it in, in that perspective. However, this spiritual principle can be applied to one's life uh, as well. Now, I, I've, I've done for oh, I'd say the last twenty some years. I've done a lot of volunteering at hospitals, uh, detoxes, treatment centers, and I have seen. Almost invariably, the people who who uh, who get stuck on 
the treadmill of institutionalization, I, I, I almost never see them recover. Uh, the only hope of people who go from one institution to another of recovering, I see, uh, this principle of self-supporting through their own contributions has to be, uh, has to be applied. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a veterans hospital that I've done a lot of work at. And, uh, you know, it's unfortunate. And I'm, I'm not finding fault with anyone that does this. Uh, I, you know, I know that there are, uh, there are uh, circumstances I know nothing about, PTSD and a lot of other things, but there's a, there's a group of individuals that just go from one VA hospital to another in the homeless programs and, and in the, in the, uh, you know, the, the drug treatment programs, and they just, they just, they just live in those institutions and they know how to, how to roll. And, uh, while you're in those institutions, even if you're working, uh, you know, you're, you're not, making a lot of money you're maybe making minimum wage and and uh, you're you're certainly not supporting your uh room and board with that money and i've never seen and and this is a, a 20 some years i've never seen someone who gets locked into that and is not able to break out of it recover it's very interesting you say that because i i'm thinking about the people that i've worked with that and again, like you, you know, uh, uh, there are people that need assistance, and, and and usually those kind of programs are intended to be a launching pad, so to help you to move on with your life, like sober living homes and and uh, even some even the food stamp program and, and some of that. And some people they need assistance, and sometimes they need it a little longer than others. But what I found with people that I that I worked with. Is people that get caught up in that uh, social service uh, assistance merry-go-round, um, e- even the ones that are, are living in their own homes, um, they become so dependent on that. These are the same people that become dependent on other people in other areas areas of their lives, and they never really make a spiritual connection with the solution to alcoholism. You know, I, I, I totally agree. And and again we're just looking at this principle. I am certainly not I'm certainly not, you know, uh criticizing uh, right. uh, vets and, and, and the challenges that they have. No. Uh, quite the opposite. I have uh, you know I've done lots and lots of volunteer work and I've 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 tried to to, you know, re- reduce the suffering in that in that particular arena. Well all I'm basically saying is is what I've observed. And yeah. I have observed one's inability to become self-supporting to be directly proportional to whether one can uh, recover from alcoholism or drug addiction. It's directly proportional. And, you know, it's about health. It's about the health of the organism, health of the individual. And in this, in this particular tradition, it's about the health of the group. You know, yeah. we, we, must, we must remain spiritually healthy. And, and within that, that spiritual health has to be financial sanity. Uh, you know, one of the saddest things I ever saw, Monty, and, you know, this was really, really disturbing to me. Uh, and it happened about 20 years ago. Now I'm in a sober dance. Okay, we're just having fun. And somebody walks in and they, 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 they're basically reaching out for help. It's an individual, I guess, about 30 years old. Uh, uh, you know, really unhealthy looking, you know, long straggly hair, just, just, you know, real unhealthy looking. But he's reaching out for help. So, so, you know, what, what we do is, is we, uh, 
we talk with the individual and we basically tell them what we recommend is we recommend a, a detox because he had admitted to being on long, long-term, uh, long-term opiate use. Uh-huh. Now, uh, come to find out, this is an individual who was on uh, a methadone program okay. and had been on a methadone program for about 15 years. Wow. Now, this, this is basically what his life consisted of. Uh, he, he, had gotten, he had gotten arrested for shoplifting a stake because, you know, he, come to find out he, he was getting uh, Social Security, he was getting Medicare, Medicaid, he was getting housing supplements, and he was on methadone. So, so, so basically, the state is paying for this guy to, to hole up in a crappy little apartment somewhere with, with food and drugs. <laughs> like, like, listen. I'm not. I'm not making a hard and fast judgment on on methadone programs. I'm sure that there are certain people that have have had their endorphin systems so destroyed by opiates that that they're going to be suicidal if 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 they're ever completely taken off of them. I, I understand that, mm-hmm. but but this person was basically cemented in. To the bleakest type of existence I can even imagine, and because he got caught shoplifting the stake, he thought that he was going to be pulled off of the methadone program uh, because he'd seen that happen, and so he was panicked and he thought, "Oh my God, I, I need help! You know, I don't want to cold turkey it. Uh, maybe some people can help me get into a detox." Now we we uh, we trundled this guy into a car, and we're on the way, taking him to a detox, and he starts asking questions about, well, where, we're, well, where am I going to be? You know, what's going to happen with this? What's going to happen with that? And to make a long story short, he, he ended up getting out of the car and taking his chances with his, uh, uh, you know, his methadone maintenance management team uh, as far as whether they're going to pull him off of this because he was arrested for shoplifting or not. I never saw him again. Okay, but the story he told me about how he lived his life in a tiny little crappy apartment with just enough money uh, for food and food stamps, uh, free methadone, and you know, and medical treatment with Medicaid. I mean, he was just he was the he was the absolute opposite of self-supporting through his own contributions, and I never saw him again. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been very active in uh, recovery processes in that area. So he, he either died or he, he went back to his apartment and, and only comes out to get food and methadone. Uh, you know, I, I've got to tell you, it, it was haunting to me to meet this guy. I've never seen a dead man walking more Wow, this individual. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Wow, and it, it may sound like I'm I'm off on a tangent uh, with this, but I believe it's directly proportional to being self-supporting through your own contributions. You, you know, he was he was he was scamming the racket, and uh, you know I don't know how happy he was doing it, but he certainly didn't have a job. He certainly, you know, wasn't contributing to. Uh, uh, to the universe in, in any meaningful way, and, uh, and I just don't think you can get sober and recover that. No, way. no, and I, I think know? I think especially for uh, I mean men, we we get a lot of our self worth from the work we do, don't we? Well, sure. There has to be some point and purpose to life. Yeah. Uh, 
to keep from, you know, suffering from despair and depression, there, there needs to be some point and purpose uh, to your life, you know, whatever that, whatever that might be. Yeah. You know, for it, for it to be, you know, getting down to the methadone clinic three times a week mm. and, uh, and, you know, getting the food stamps to go buy cheese or whatever, uh, you know, I, I don't see that. I don't see that as being, mm. uh, uh, you know, that that great, and I think as a recovering uh, person, as a person in recovery, and who is achieving uh, the state called recovered, I think we need to do better than that. I think the spiritual principles that we need to apply in our life would go directly against that. It's it's more about what you can give than what you can take. Recovery is so much more about what you can give than what you can take. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this is a great tradition, and it's a great platform to talk about, uh, about going to give, not going to get, when you're engaging in a, a recovery process, when you're going to a meeting, when you're, you know, serving at a group or service level. It's about what can you bring, not what you can, you can go and take. And without that shift in attitude and uh, behavior, uh, you you don't you don't recover, and it's and it's unbelievably observable. Right. Whether there's whether there's evidence based data out there on that or or not, Monty, I could care less. I can tell you what I see, and and I can I can predict it, and I can bet on it uh, at almost one hundred percent accuracy. Yeah, right on. Right. Uh, we should probably start reading, huh? Yeah, let's do that. Uh, okay. Every AA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. You know, one of the cool things about this, Monty, was the story of the Rockefellers. You know, Bill Wilson wanted, uh, wanted like, all this money to put together AA hospitals, to, uh, to, to hire AA missionaries, uh, certainly to put a book together, but... He saw that they needed money, lots of money. So he actually he actually got a chance uh, to uh, to bring a, a bunch of uh, a bunch of recovering people uh, to uh, a Rockefeller dinner, and you know they told their stories, and, and and he really thought you know he really thought that they'd be leaving with a ton of money. But the official Rockefeller position was, we don't want to be the people to spoil this with a bunch of money. You know that's not going to be on our conscience. Yeah, <laughs> and and it was like he was like. No, no, we're not going to get any money. They were able to, uh, uh, they were able to get like I don't know, fifteen grand or something, enough to pay off Doctor Bob's mortgage, so he'd have a place to live, and enough to you know put together a, a, a tiny little office and stuff like that for Bill. Uh, you know, but uh, but all in all, uh, all in all, uh, the, the Rockefellers who were a big part in you know helping uh, establish the board. Of directors, uh, you know the alcohol alcohol foundation. I think it was called. Um, uh, recognized this as something that's only going to be valuable if it's a work of good of goodwill. So uh, from the get go, uh, we learned from that Rockefeller decision that excessive money is probably not a good idea. So self supporting alcoholics, whoever heard of such a thing? Yeah, we find that's what we have to pay. This principle is telling evidence of the profound change that AA has wrought in all of us. Everybody knows that active alcoholics scream that they have no troubles money can't cure. Always we've had our hands out. Time out of mind, we've been dependent upon somebody, usually uh, money-wise. 
when a society composed entirely of alcoholics says it's going to pay its bills, that's really news. Probably no AA tradition had the labor pains this one did. In early times, we were all broke. When you add to this the habitual supposition that people ought to give money to alcoholics trying to stay sober, it can be understood why we thought we deserved a pile of folding money. What great things AA would be able to do with it. But oddly enough, people who had money thought otherwise. They figured that it was high time we now, sober, paid our own way. So our fellowship stayed poor because it had to. There was another reason for our collective poverty. It was soon apparent that while alcoholics would spend lavishly on 12-step cases, they had a terrific aversion to dropping money into a meeting place hat for group purposes. We were astounded to find that we were as tight as the bark on a tree. So AA, the movement, started and stayed broke while its individual members waxed prosperous. Alcoholics are certainly all-or-nothing people. Our reactions to money prove this. As AA emerged from its infancy into adolescence, we swung from the idea that we needed vast sums of money to the notion that AA shouldn't have any. On every lip were the words, you can't mix AA and money. We shall have to separate the spiritual from the material. We took this violent new tack because here and there, members had tried to make money out of their AA connections, and we feared we'd be exploited. Now and then, grateful benefactors had endowed clubhouses, and as a result, there was sometimes outside interferences in our affairs. We had been presented with a hospital, uh, and almost immediately the donor's son became its principal patient and would-be manager. One AA group was given $5,000 to do, with it, do what it would, the hassle over that chunk of money played havoc for years. Frightened by these complications, some groups refused to have a cent in their treasuries. Despite these misgivings, we had to recognize the fact that AA had to function. Meeting places cost something. To save whole areas from turmoil, small offices had to be set up, telephones installed, and a few full-time secretaries hired. Over many protests, these things were accomplished. We saw that if they weren't, the man coming in the door couldn't get a break. These simple services would require small sums of money, which we could and would pay ourselves. At last, the pendulum stopped swinging and pointed straight at our Tradition 7, as it reads today. In this connection, Bill liked to tell the following pointed story. He explains that when Jack Alexander's Saturday evening post piece broke in 1941, thousands of frantic letters from destroyed alcoholics and their families hit the Foundation's letterbox in New York. Our office staff, Bill says, consisted of two people, one devoted secretary and myself. How could this landslide of appeals be met? We'd have to have some form of full-time help, that was sure. So we asked the AA groups for voluntary contributions. Would they send us a dollar a member a year? Otherwise, this heartbreaking mail would have to go unanswered. To my surprise, the, the response of the groups was slow. I got mighty sore about it. Looking at this avalanche of mail one morning at the office, I paced up and down ranting how irresponsible and tightwad my fellow members were. Just then an old acquaintance uh, stuck a tasseled and aching head in the door. He was our prize slippy. I could see he had an awful hangover. Remembering some of my own, my heart filled with pity. I mentioned, uh, motioned him to inside my cubicle and produced a $5 bill. As my total income was $30 a week at the time, this was a fairly large donation. Lois really needed the money for groceries, but that didn't stop me. The intense relief on my friend's face warmed my heart. 
I felt especially virtuous as I thought of all the ex-drunks who wouldn't even send the foundation a dollar apiece. And here I was gladly making a $5 investment to fix a hangover. The meeting that night was at New York's old 24th Street Clubhouse. During the intermission, the treasurer gave a timid talk on how broke the club was. That was in the period when you couldn't mix money in AA. But finally he said it. The landlord would put us out if we didn't pay up. He concluded his remarks by saying, Now, boys, please go have her in the hat tonight, will you? I heard all this quite plainly as I was poisonously trying to convert a newcomer who sat next to me. The hat came in my direction. I reached into my pocket. Still working my prom, my prospect, I fumbled and came up with a 50-cent piece. Somehow it looked like a very big coin. Patiently, I dropped it back and fished out a dime, which clinked thinly as I dropped it in the hat. Hats never got folding money in those days. Then I woke up. I, who had boasted my generosity that morning, was treating my own club worse than the distant alcoholics who had forgotten to send the foundation their dollars. I realized that my $5 gift to the slippy was an ego-feeding proposition, bad for him and bad for me. There was a place in AA where spirituality and money would mix, and that was in the hat. You know, Monty, uh, it's it, it, a dollar in the hat has been going on since probably the early 60s. Mm-hmm. And it's still, it's still pretty traditional in, uh, in, in most support groups. Uh, I'm, certainly, I'm certainly someone who believes that uh, uh, that dollar should be adjusted for inflation. And basically, here's the reason. You know, there are certain areas in the country that have clubhouses. Uh, there, there are certain areas of the country that have to have... Uh, uh, have to meet in churches, basically. Most most areas meet in churches, and these these churches are, are pretty good about you know uh, making available meeting space, and they're very very uh, well meaning and compassionate uh, uh, landlords in most cases, and in most cases when they ask, well, how much can the group afford? It's like ten dollars a week or something, really really small. In, in most cases, it costs. It costs four times what the rent is to heat the place, you know. So, uh, so I, I truly think to be self-supporting through our own contributions, a lot of times more than a dollar in the hat is going to be needed. Uh, it, you have to figure out, you know, what what is a room really worth? What does it cost uh, the church? Uh, what does it cost the clubhouse uh, to have that room? And make sure that donations uh, are, are able to match the expenses of the meeting. If the donations can't match the expenses of the meeting, if the meeting has gotten so slow, small that it gets like four dollars a week, then that meeting should probably close up, and and people should travel maybe a little bit farther to a bigger, more healthy meeting. Uh, because I don't think it's fair to the churches. I don't think it's fair to the to the landlords to not be able to pay. You know, we are supposed to be, or 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 members of twelve sub fellowships are supposed to be, uh, self-supporting through their own contributions, and uh, and money and, and spirituality do meet in the hat, and, uh, and and I believe that there should be enough in that hat to be able to pay for the coffee and donuts, uh, to pay for the rent, and, and to contribute to, to in, in the ways suggested, uh, uh, you know, to the different uh, area. And intergroup uh, 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 functions; uh, those areas need contributions usually too. So, do you, do you do you believe that uh, 
Um, if a group is is barely making it, that you know there there needs to be a a, a, a priority. You know there there needs to be a a, a um, what do you call it a a pyramid really. I mean of what gets paid first. I mean in my opinion, uh, the doors being open and the lights being on is number one. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, number two would be the literature, uh, and then anything after that would be the coffee and donuts. Um, and I, I would even, I would even be one that might say before the coffee and donuts, we need to give to district or or whoever. Uh, I think the coffee and donuts thing is is great, um, but I think that's to be the the bottom of the pile, don't you? Uh, you know, I, I agree with what you just said. That that's a good priority. And and sugar and caffeine are two very very bad things for alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not I'm not I'm not willing to fall on that sword. You know, I'm not willing <laughs> to stand up and 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 take take point on that argument. I'm not going to mm-hmm. do that. Uh, but uh, but you know, I'll, I'll agree with you that that. Uh, you know, some people. Some people say, "Well, you know, we won't get any new people if we don't offer." You know, I, I don't know whether that's actually true or not, uh, but, uh, but but I, I will tell you that, that a healthy group. And you know, I've heard this from high, some high-level service people in uh, you know in one of the fellowships uh, that if if a meeting can't make expenses, uh, the healthy thing for it to do is to shut down and for people to to go to meetings that that, that are healthy. You know, we, 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 you know, you don't necessarily need four million meetings with two or three people. I, I think, I think, I think fewer meetings and more people is going to be better mm-hmm. uh, than, than many meetings and few people. You know, there's always the resentment and, and somebody willing to buy a new coffee pot, you know, yeah. and find a new meeting space. And, and that, that's one way that 12-step fellowships grow. Uh, through resentments and additional coffee pots, uh, and that's fine. But uh, but uh, again, now now if you're way out and gone, if you're like way up in the Yukon or something, and there's four people in your meeting, and that's just the way it is because that's how many alcoholics there are in that area. And to get to the to nearest to the nearest meeting besides that is like 200 miles. Listen, go for it. I'm all for it. You know, stay sober. Your primary purpose is to is to stay sober and to help other alcoholics uh, achieve recovery. Please, but in in you know in larger areas where there's a meeting around every corner, sometimes I think that's silly. Uh, I, you know, I, I would prefer a, a healthier, larger, larger group. You know, if it was me. Sure, sure, you bet. You know, uh, and uh, again. Uh, uh, treasurers, uh, there's always going to be the treasurer, and the treasurer has to understand prudent reserve. The treasurer has to understand uh, uh, how uh, 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 donations need to go through uh, the various service structures. You know, the different 12-step organizations are going to have uh, different math to use for uh, for taking additional monies and donating it, donating it into the service structures. Uh, a, a treasurer is going to need to know how to do how to do that, and uh, and should probably be pretty consistent with their sobriety or clean time so that they don't run off with it. Um, uh, one thing that happened uh, one thing that happened in uh, uh, in an area uh, near me is an area treasurer. Now that's a whole state, okay? Right. An area an area treasurer embezzled uh, uh, you know almost a hundred thousand dollars of. Uh, of area money and and built an addition on their house with it. And, oh no! <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, when they got caught, when they got caught, there was there's there's also the tradition that we don't engage in any uh, controversy or outside issues. Uh, so there was there was a there was a serious discussion about whether that person should be uh, held accountable by the law and charges should be pressed. Mm-hmm. And and that that was a whole big huge huge problem. So you know you you need to make sure that there's some oversight and that there's some responsible people that are that are holding on to the money. I, that may be a maybe a a large task to have. Uh, you know that may be a you know you may be fishing in. Uh, in the wrong pond to find responsible people, but uh, to the best of one's ability, you know, we need to be responsible. Uh, we all need to be responsible in every aspect of our lives with uh, with money. We need to learn how to be good stewards of money, and, and we need to have financial sanity for us to be able to really maintain, uh, maintain our recovery, I believe. Yeah, and, and just because a person is very gifted in bookkeeping or has that kind of experience does not necessarily mean that they would make a good trusted servant in that area. No, no, and uh, you know, you always gotta watch. Watch. There's some there's some tricky people that show up in the different recovery groups. And their main purpose of being in that group is not to recover from alcoholism or drug addiction. It's it's uh, it's to get over one way or the other. Yeah, and you gotta, you gotta watch out for them too. There's another story about money. One night in 1948, the trustees of the foundation were having their quarterly meeting. The agenda discussion included a very important question. A certain lady had died. When her will was read, it was discovered she had left Alcoholics Anonymous in trust with the Alcoholic Foundation a sum of $10,000. The question was, should AA take the gift? What a debate we had on that one. The foundation was really hard up just then. The groups weren't sending in enough for the support of the office. We had been tossing in all the book, uh, book income, and even that hadn't been enough. The reserve was melting like snow in springtime. We needed that $10,000. Maybe, someone said, the group will never fully support the office. We can't let it shut down. It's far too vital. Yes, let's take the money. Let's take all such donations. In the future, we're going to need them. Then came the opposition. They pointed out that the foundation board already knew of a total of half a million dollars set aside for AA and the wills of people still alive. Heaven only knew how much there was we hadn't heard about. If outside donations weren't uh, declined, absolutely cut off, then the foundation would one day become rich. Moreover, at the slightest intimation to the general public from our trustees that we needed money, we could become immensely rich. Compared to this prospect, uh, the $10,000 under consideration wasn't much. But like the alcoholic's first drink, it would have taken inevitably set up a disastrous chain reaction. Where would that land us? Whoever pays the piper is apt to call the tune, and if the AA Foundation obtained money from outside sources, its trustees might be tempted to run things without reference to the wishes of AA as a whole. Relieve the responsibility, every alcoholic would shrug and say, Oh, the Foundation is wealthy. Why should I bother? The pressure of that fat treasury would surely tempt the board to invent all kinds of schemes to do good with such funds and so divert AA from its primary purpose. The moment that happened, our fellowship's confidence would be shaken. The board would be isolated and fall under heavy attack of criticism from both AA and the public. These were the possibilities pro and con. Then our trustees wrote a break page of AA history. They declared for the principle that AA must always stay poor. Bare running expenses plus a prudent reserve would henceforth be the Foundation's financial policy. Difficult as it was, they officially declined that $10,000 and adopted a formal, airtight resolution that all such future gifts would be similarly declined. At that moment, we believed the principle of corporate poverty 
was firmly and finally embedded in AA tradition. When these facts were printed, uh, there was a profound reaction. To people familiar with the endless drives for charitable funds, AA presented a strange and refreshing spectacle. Approving editorials here and abroad generated a wave of confidence in the integrity of Alcoholics Anonymous. They pointed out that the irresponsible had become responsible, and that by making financial independence part of its tradition, Alcoholics Anonymous had, had revived an ideal that its era had almost uh, forgotten. And uh, that concludes uh, the, the reading. I think there's really some, some good lessons here. I, I love the part where it says, the irresponsible have finally become responsible. And again, that goes to the heart of this tradition uh, for, uh, for us to uh, remain recovered I believe we need to hold on to uh, to fiscal uh, fiscal sanity, you know. And uh, you know, it doesn't mean that we need to work hard enough to be rich. It needs. It means that you know we we need to uh, we need to allocate our funds in a responsible way, whether we're a group mm-hmm. or whether we're individual members or the society as a whole. Uh, you know, that's that's kind of how I I feel today, money. Uh, we had, and I, I, I think we may have discussed this on one of the other shows. Uh, but it, it, it's uh, worth bringing up again. We had a, a group of, of folks uh, within. Um, it was another twelve-step fellowship, and uh, they wanted to do a car wash for activities, but they knew that the car wash thing could cause a lot of problems, particularly if somebody's car got damaged or scratched and. Then they'd be in trouble, and so, so what they did, decided to do was they decided to form an outside committee that had that was not associated with that twelve step fellowship, and they called themselves Clean and Sober Citizens. They had a car wash as Clean and Sober Citizens. Um, there was a couple of people that asked a couple of the cars that came through had asked, "Are you guys associated with?" And they said, "No." Uh, and, uh, they raised, I don't know, they raised like $600 or something for their activity. Well, then the, the members took that money because they were, they were, uh, individual members of that 12 step fellowship and they had possession of the money and turned around and donated it as members to the organization. So they found a loophole, but I got to tell you, there was a lot of, there was a lot of stuff stirred up about that, um, so, what do you think about something like that? Well, you know, it is kind of a loophole. I believe, I believe in the Fellowship Alcoholics Anonymous. I believe as a as a uh, an individual person, you're allowed to give two thousand dollars a year or two hundred. I don't yeah, even remember like money, that. but there's a certain maximum that that they recommend an individual uh, donates uh, puts in the hat or, or or donates to AA. Um, and that's really the maximum. So if, if some sober people get together and decide, you know, outside of, uh, of, of AA, it's not going to have anything to do with AA. We're going to go ahead and have a car wash, and we're going to take the proceeds of that car wash, and we're going to donate it uh, as individual members, uh, not, uh, uh, you know, not exceeding, uh, the the recommended level of money per person mm-hmm. uh, back to the group uh, that that's that's a loophole and and you know I I personally wouldn't uh, wouldn't uh, you know draw a line in the sand and say you you can't do that uh, personally I, I would I think it's kind of kind of smart 
yeah. but I can also see I can also see the people who read uh, you know uh, not only the black part but the white part of the traditions would have would have an issue with it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So yeah. so you know it can be it can be good it can be bad. I, I think I think the best thing to do is for members instead of doing something like that, why don't you put just put put two or three dollars in every week instead you know instead sure. of instead of having to you know having to do put car washes together. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Why don't why don't you just consistently fund the meeting space uh, so so that it can meet on it. a regular basis? That, yeah. That's really probably the right way to go. You you bet. Um, I I think I think that other people can really learn. Other organizations can really learn from this as well because I think it has really saved the backside of of Alcoholics Anonymous um, this tradition. And uh, I, I give you an example. There was a, a church I was a youth pastor at years ago in Vallejo, California, and. Um, the gentleman that uh, I guess there's really no other way to say it. the one that was mostly responsible for funding the church didn't hold any position as far as like uh, ministry goes, but he owned the Masonic temple where the church met on one of the floors at the Masonic Lodge. And this gentleman had deep pockets. And so he let the church rent this one floor for free. And this went on for about a year. And something very interesting happened. And I was there when this happened. Um, he decided that he didn't like the way the pastor was preaching. So he started dictating what he should preach and what he shouldn't preach. And what happened was the church left uh, because the pastor wasn't going to do that. Now, they could have stayed and the whole focus of what that church's uh, 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 theme was and what they were trying to get across would have changed it. It, would, it wouldn't have been what they were trying to get across uh, because this guy with all the money had it. So he was calling the shots. His pocketbook was calling the shots. And thank goodness the church finally said, we're not going to do that. We'll find someplace else to meet. But I've seen this happen. I've seen it happen in Boy Scouts. I've seen it happen in churches. I've seen it happen in Rotary Clubs. Uh this is something that we could we could all take a really huge lesson from, and uh, and, and try to apply uh, yet again another spiritual principle in all uh, all our actions. I, I agree. I agree. You know, um, money can really corrupt, and and power can really corrupt. You know, uh, there's there's been uh, there's been cases where. Uh, uh, where undue influence uh, through the church has impacted the way uh, recovery meetings have have happened. It doesn't happen right. much, but but it, you know it, it can happen. And there has to be a separation. Uh, there has to be a separation of basically church and state. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, and uh, and each each group needs to be acting responsibly, or else it will be putting itself in jeopardy. Of uh, of failing and and not succeeding, you know, if if the individual fails to adhere to per, uh, specific spiritual principles, uh, they're they're going to they're going to relapse and probably die. If a group fails to adhere to uh, its spiritual principles, it's probably going to fail and go away. Uh, and you know, sometimes sometimes that can cause the, the members themselves to 
to fail too when groups fail. So you kind of got to got to be careful. Yeah. Well, next week, tradition eight: Alcoholics Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. What in the heck does that mean? A lot of people don't have a clue, and we're going to find out next week all about Tradition 8. All right, Chris, thank you so much, my friend. Okay. All right, uh, folks, don't forget our web address, take12radio.com, and our email address, take12radio at comcast.net. And until our next broadcast, this is the Monty Man along with Chris Schroeder, and we are wishing God's perfect serenity for you. Bye-bye now. been a broadcast of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting.